Merry Christmas, Lakeside. Good to see you guys. Merry Christmas, family room. Give you a shout out over there. Good that you guys are with us. Hey, aren't Christmas and kiddos great? Don't they just go together? I mean, it's just amazing. We had the baby dedications, the kiddos singing. Did you see Santa's workshop? I mean, you can build your own toy in there. And so after the gathering, go get your kiddos first. Parents, don't go build toys yourselves. Get your kids. If you're in the family room, come on over and you can make a toy in Santa's workshop. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I love Christmas and kids. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas, uh, mainly for the presents, I have to admit. But, you know, back in the 70s, we would wait for the Christmas specials to come on. Do you remember that? You know, before you could record it, before everybody just could download it or own it on DVD or whatever. And so we would wait for the big Christmas specials. And one of my favorites was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that one made in the 60s. Now, I found a couple things out this week. One is that my buddy Ian in the tech booth thinks that claymation is uh, creepy, so I don't know, just strange. And then there are some members of our lakeside staff of the younger generation that have never seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, so I don't know what's going on with the kids these days. But I loved it. You had Yukon Cornelius, right? He'd throw his pickaxe up in the air. He's always looking for silver, silver and gold. Nothing. You know, and you had a a abominable snowman. You had Kirby, who wanted, who was an elf, who wanted to be a dentist. I found out last night. uh, I was talking to my wife, and she thought that was cool. I thought that was lame. Be an elf and make toys, and she goes, "Oh no, be a dentist." And so, you know, who knew? You know, but it was a good story. I, I I liked it. I liked the part when they find themselves on the island of misfit toys. You know, they show up on this island, and apparently there's all these toys that they don't have a home. They all have something wrong with them, some quirk, uh, something that uh, didn't quite work out right. So you have this train that has square wheels on the caboose. You have a cowboy that rides an ostrich instead of a horse. You have a Charlie in the box instead of a Jack in the box. And so you had all these toys who were, in a word, misfits, and they had to hang out on this Island of Misfit Toys, and they were waiting because there was the king of the island, King Moon Racer, psychedelic 60s name, and, and he was a big lion, and he had wings, and he would fly around trying to find homes for these toys. And when I was a kid, I, I, I sort of missed that theme a little bit. You see, I, I watched the special, and I thought, oh, this is about Rudolph finally you know, showing the other reindeers and Santa that he's got what it takes. You know, those, those reindeer who were nasty and called him names and wouldn't let him play in the reindeer games. You know, now Rudolph would be vindicated. I didn't use the word vindicated, but you kind of felt like that. Yeah, Rudolph, go. But actually, I think that there's sort of a deeper theme. Because Rudolph, who knows he's a misfit, has this sense of solidarity with the other misfits. And it sort of moves him to have empathy. And he fights through the storm and through the fog. And he leads Santa's slave back to the island of misfit toys. And then he takes the toys to go be at home in the heart of a child. And, and, you know, as I've gotten older, as an adult, and, and the people that I talk to, the people that I read about, really, I think all of us know what it's like at some point in our lives to spend some time on the island of misfit toys. 
We all know what it's like to have quirks, to have differences, sometimes to have our differences shouted out for all to know. Did you go to middle school? Do you remember these days? You know, we, we know what it's like to feel a sense of loneliness or being on the outside looking in. We know what it's like to long for purpose in our lives, and we know what it's like to have this sense of waiting, waiting for someone to come and transform our experience of being a misfit to an experience of being at home. And this is Christmas. Christmas is a story of misfits being welcomed home. And it's a story that's been told for 2,000 years. It's a story that when it's been told well and when it's been lived out well has had the power to change people's lives, to change families and marriages and communities. It's a story that has the power to change the world still in our day and age. It's actually a story that this week, in fact, yesterday, uh, brought 12 churches together. 12 local churches together as one. You know, have you heard about these kinds of things happening before? That's, a, that's like a mini miracle. It's amazing. So 12 churches planned this event called Christmas Around Town. And uh, many of you volunteered. We had a couple hundred volunteers. You guys were super generous. Uh, you may have seen throughout the month of December toys coming in left and right. Our lobby filling up with toys. We actually got so many toys in that we could serve way more people than we thought. And I was here yesterday morning, and it was an amazing environment where there are those in our community who got to experience maybe some more joy and excitement than they would have otherwise. Maybe they got to experience. heard the Christmas story, and they saw the love of Jesus in action from the local church. And so way to go, Lakeside, for being super generous. I really appreciate that. Give a shout out to Steve Wright and Julie Losey, who led us. Steve's over in the family room. And so way to go. Um, It was an awesome time. And uh, this is Christmas, right? I mean, this is the heart of of Christmas. And so I thought this morning, on the weekend right before Christmas, why not just read the Christmas story? You know, the traditional one right out of Luke chapter 2. If you've never read the Bible, actually, uh, you may have heard the story uh, from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which I love as well. But I thought I would read it for you this morning out of Luke chapter 2. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so this this was a census. They're counting the people. Caesar Augustus is in charge of everything. They occupy Israel. Israel is a nation under the authority of of another nation. Why do we want to count people? Well, we got to count the people because the population is growing and we need to know how much tax we can squeeze out of this country that we're occupying. So this isn't like a fun, I'm going home for the holidays visit. This is, I have to go register because I'm going to have to pay more taxes. Verse four says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea 
to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for, for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, who is Messiah or Christ. The Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with, an a- with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left, had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Christmas tells us that Jesus enters the world like we all do. Babies need to be held. Babies need to be cared for. They need to be fed. They need to be changed. Babies cry. Babies are needy. Babies are humble. Which is a profound thought when you consider the fact that Luke in this chapter is actually writing about God. Christianity teaches that God became human, fully God and fully man. John says it this way, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's, it's, it's the incarnation. The theological, theological word is incarnation. It essentially means to embody the flesh or to take on the flesh of another God in a bod. And the incarnation, the idea of incarnation wasn't new in the ancient world. Uh, other religions taught this. this these, there had been stories told of this, but, but the way that this story was being told was different. That God would become a baby. That God would be humble. What kind of a God would do that? And why? Humility was not a a virtue in the ancient world at all. Humility was something that you didn't want to brag about at all. Humility was something that was considered weak, dangerously weak. It was actually despised. It was defined as uh, something that was crushed or debased. It was associated with failure and shame. You did not brag about humility. But Christmas 
changed that. If you're on a search for Jesus and you want to learn more about him, there's a great book written years ago called The Jesus I Never Knew by a guy named Philip Yancey. And in it, he writes, Before Jesus, almost no pagan author had used humble as a compliment. Yet the events of Christmas point inescapably to what seems like an oxymoron, a humble God. The God who came to earth not in a raging whirlwind, nor in a devouring fire. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down, 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 so small as to become an ovum, a single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye, an egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape, enlarging cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. What does it say about the heart of God that he would do this? And, and, and why, why would he do it? Well, the story goes on. It tells us that Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married, which is essentially like being married. It, was, it, it wasn't being all the way married, but it was more than just being engaged. And you couldn't just break off the pledge to be married. Joseph could break it off because he was the dude, but Mary was pretty much powerless in the situation, and she's the one who goes to Joseph and says, guess what? And can you imagine not just the awkwardness of that conversation, but the scandal? I mean, in that day and age, huge scandal in, in many ways in our day and age as well. Jesus would have grown up being known as a memzer, M-E-M-Z-E-R. A memzer traditionally by theologians has been translated bastard or mongrel. But actually, in that culture, it was even worse than that. A memzer was the child of a forbidden, unlawful relationship in two categories, either an adulterous relationship or a relationship that um, a baby that was born out of incest. And this is the reputation that Jesus grows up with. What kind of a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful allows himself to be born into that kind of situation? Some of you know what it's like to grow up in a small town, a small high school, a small church with a bad reputation. This was the context of Christmas. And we start to get the idea that the story is trying to tell us something very important about God. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, far away from kings and queens. Kind of out of the way. And one of the things that we learn if we read in Matthew chapter 2 is that Mary and Joseph actually had to take their little child and they had to leave their home. They had to leave their country. They had to leave what was familiar and they had to flee for their lives because there was this king, King Herod, who was terrorizing the people. He was a bit of a crazy king who killed people in his own family, wives. He killed one of his favorite sons. There was a saying that said, I'd rather be a pig than one of Herod's sons because Herod was king of the Jews and he wouldn't touch a pig, but he would kill his own son. He terrorized his enemies, but also his own people. And when he finds out, that there is another king of the Jews that's being born in Bethlehem. Herod, who was the king of the Jews, got a little upset. And the scripture says that all of Jerusalem began to be in a panic. They were disturbed because they knew 
they knew that something was going to be unleashed. Mary and Joseph and Jesus get out, and Herod sends his soldiers to Bethlehem in the surrounding vicinity. And the soldiers search house by house, breaking down the door, finding baby boys two and under. And when they do, they put their swords into their little baby bodies. We don't know what life was like in, in, in Egypt for Mary and Joseph and, 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 and Jesus. We, we don't know what it was like there. We don't know what it was like to be a stranger in a different country. Were they ghettoized? What happened to them? Were, you know, did they get by on Joseph's skill as a carpenter? We don't know. But what we do know is that the one who we come each weekend here at Lakeside Church to worship, the one who has changed our lives, the one who we long to introduce people to because we believe he has the power to change their life as well, this God was a refugee. God was a refugee. Eventually, they come back to Israel. And you know, when you're coming back and, and you grew up in this small town and, and you have a bad reputation and your child is going to have a bad reputation, you know what's going to happen. And so you want to go somewhere else, but they can't go somewhere else because they're afraid for their child's life. So they end right back up in Nazareth. And this is where Jesus grows up. One of Jesus' own followers at one point said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What kind of a God chooses that context for himself? I think when we pause for a moment and we begin to reflect on Christmas in its historical setting, and we, get, and we begin to imagine on a deeper level what it must have been like, I believe that we begin to see in a different way a God that most of our world doesn't imagine. We come face to face with a God that some of us haven't thought of before. Christmas reminds, reminds us that God is humble. What a profound thought. And so maybe, maybe when you have some time this Christmas season. Maybe, maybe when you have time on Christmas Eve and you're, and you're exhausted because you're done putting the Barbie dream house together and you're done building the bike, you're done finally separating the toy from the cardboard packaging with the chainsaw that you need to do it nowadays. <laughs> I was reading a blog the other day and it said 70% of adults would pay somebody extra money just to do that for them. And I thought, wow. Maybe if you just have a moment Maybe you could ponder and treasure some things up in your heart like Mary did. Maybe on the walk that you take after the big Christmas meal or that moment where the kids are finally playing quietly, maybe you can reflect a little bit on what God's humility can say about your life in the, ex, in the, in the uh, uh, upcoming year. How could God's humility inform your life? For example, how could it change the way we listen to others. How could God's humility change the way that we have discourse and conversation with others, especially those with whom we disagree? It is an election year, after all, you know. Could it change the way you use social media? What could God's humility do to inform your life?
your understanding of your resources and how to use them? What could the fact that God chose to look us eye, eye to eye and experience what it means to be human and all of the quirks and the pain that goes along with that and yet be the hope of the world? What could that say about us finding the pain and being the hope in our world, in our relationships, in our oikos, that Greek word for extended household, those people that are in our lives? God is humble. One other thing that Christmas teaches us is that God is approachable. God is humble and God is approachable. And this was just as profound as God being humble, this idea of his approachableness. Because in the ancient world, you didn't just saunter up and approach a God. You came in fear. You came trembling. I'm convinced that every single time in the scriptures that it said that people were afraid of a supernatural being, I would have been afraid too. I mean, can you imagine? But Christmas actually changes that. God would be touched. He would be held. I can imagine Joseph mentoring Jesus as he was growing up on how to cut wood, how to chisel a piece of stone. What does it say about the heart of God that he allows himself to be mentored? When Jesus would grow up, he would say, if anybody is exhausted, if anybody is carrying heavy burdens on them, come to me. And I will give you rest. One of his followers, the Apostle John, who was extremely close to Jesus. The, the Apostle John was the one that was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother. And Jesus says, hey, take, take care of my mom. She's now your mom. And he's now your son. He was the one who at the Last Supper was leaning over and leaning on Jesus. He was the one that grew to be an old man. And when he was an old man, he wrote a letter. It's at the end of the first uh, end of the New Testament and it's called 1st John. And in the very first verse, he talks about this. He talks about Jesus. He says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. I mean, this was a major game changer. God could be known in a deeper way, in a relational way, in a truly meaningful way. He is approachable. And this is even more profound when we consider some of the characters in the Christmas story. Like the shepherds. Have you ever seen a Christmas story or seen a Christmas play without a shepherd. I was a shepherd when I was a little kid growing up in church. My brother, I, I just found a picture of my, my younger brother. I was dressed up as a shepherd, and he was a devil. So I don't know what that means. If you're watching this, bro, sorry, dude, you're the devil, not me. But a, but a shepherd, from, from, from ancient history, we know that for centuries, shepherds were a part of the low class, sometimes the lowest class. As soon as people began to learn how to farm, and they formed communities, and they built cities and walls, and then they began to trade as merchants. Shepherds were needed, but they weren't respected. They were considered dirty and untruthful, which 
is remarkable considering that they were the ones the angel comes to. They were the ones that go out and start saying this to everybody. And it says that people were amazed at what these shepherds were saying. God has a way of making outsiders insiders. Or how about the Magi? I mean, the Magi, maybe they were even worse than the shepherds because they were foreigners. They were pagans. They didn't worship the God of Israel, and they probably looked a lot different than the Israelites. They were wise men. They were advisors to kings. They were probably extremely educated, widely read. They may have had a copy of the Hebrew scriptures in God, and the only way that God can do leads them to himself, and we never hear the Christmas story fully without that part where these magi come, bow down, and worship the Messiah. Outsiders becoming insiders. Jesus lived his whole life this way. At one point, he said, let the little children come to me. Little children had no status in that culture Jesus had scandalous conversations. They were scandalous because a rabbi did not have conversations with women, especially alone. But Jesus raises the status. In fact, he would call women to follow him. In the, in the book of Acts, it says that they threw the leaders of the new movement, this church, into prison. It says they threw the men and women into prison. And it's the women who on Easter Sunday morning make the first announcement. You didn't tell stories like that in the ancient world because nobody would believe you unless there was something going on that was transforming culture. Jesus hung out with the poor. He hung out with, the, the, with some people and he, he went to parties with some people that were called notorious sinners. He spent time with prostitutes and the people that used the prostitutes. He even spent time with that hated group of people, the people that were actually very misunderstood in some ways. But he had time for those crazy religious leaders that we read about. Jesus had time for everyone. In his humility and in his approachableness, Christmas tells us that God says everyone's welcome. Everyone is welcome. How could that inform our lives as we move into a brand new year at the end of this Christmas season? Now, if I could just push this a little bit further and maybe talk to the Christ followers, the Christ followers, somebody that is following Jesus, somebody that says, I want to be more like Jesus, somebody that is on a mission to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus for you. How does God's humility and his approachableness and his welcome of all people inform your life for this upcoming year? Could this community of faith right here called Lakeside Church, could we be on a mission that involves humility, approachableness, and the welcome of all people? Jesus makes this possible. This is the story of Christmas. I, I, I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's a, great, it's a great story because it reminds me of the most powerful story where God comes to our little island of misfit toys called planet Earth. 
and he has solidarity with us, and he's moved by his tremendous love to sacrifice his own son on the cross, and he's raised from the dead, and he spreads his arms open wide, and he says, everyone is welcome with me. Everyone has a home with me. Would you pray with me this morning? God, it's the week before Christmas. Uh, We're heading into a busy season. For some, it's a season of excitement and joy. For others, it's a stressful season. For others, it's a painful season. Lord, I pray that as Mary had time to treasure up the story and ponder it in her heart, that we would have that time too. God, that we would reflect on your amazing love for us. I think you humbled yourself and I think you became approachable for us because you love us. And so God, may we feel that in all of its truth and all of its reality at the depths of our hearts, in the corners of our lives that are hidden away in pain. May we feel your love and may we find hope in that this Christmas season. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.